Have a seat. Everybody doing okay this morning? Cool. Well, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 18 is where we're going to go. But there's a couple of quick announcements i got to cover before we get there, uh, if you please. We are Siamese. Uh, so next week, we are going to have um, a baptism service. So I know a lot of people are curious about baptisms. Everything okay? Okay. Uh, so next week, if you are interested, I think we've got three or four people that are going to be baptized next week. If you're interested, um, I'm going to be back in the back after this. Just come talk to me about it. And um, we don't want you to rush into this decision by no means. Um, but don't these things look like tentacles? Like, okay. Um, all right. Are you guys going to make fun of me this whole service? So um, just come. Thank you for that. Come meet me in the back, and we'll talk about baptism. We don't want to walk into this decision haphazardly, uh, but at the same time, we, uh, if you're ready to be baptized, let's do this. Matt, can I unplug your guitar? Is that going to mess anything up? Okay. Because I'm going to trip over it. It's one of those mornings, church, one of those mornings. Um, another two, two quick announcements, too, and, and she's going to hate this. Where's Ashley? Thomas. Come here, Ashley. Oh, we love Ashley, um, but this is going to be Ashley's last Sunday with us as she is going to work with tigers like a crazy lady. Uh, so I want everyone to look at Ashley because we might not ever see this beautiful face again. Uh, she's coming, she's playing with tigers. We don't know that she's coming back. Uh, but Ashley's been with us for a long time, helped lead MCs, helped in the children's ministry, and just been a fantastic friend to all of us. So make sure you love on this girl uh, today before she leaves, and she's going to go play with tigers. We love you, girl. Uh, last thing is next week I will not be preaching for the next, bless you, for the next two weeks I will not be preaching. Ricky Bobby will be taking care of that. And let me kind of explain why, because this is something that, that, that may be different than some of, and, and really this is different for us too. Um, as you guys know, and we've talked about before, and this is your first Sunday, let me tell you, um, right here behind Matt's guitar is this logo for 10 and 10 by 2. So what we want to do, our dream, is to create a network of 10 churches within the next 10 years by multiplying leaders every two years. Um, so we've talked about two weeks ago, we preached through the Distinctives series um, or sermon of who we really are, what we are trying to accomplish. And one of those things is multiplication. And everything we do, we want to multiply. We want to raise up disciples. And that doesn't stop here. Um, so if we want to send out church planners left and right like our desire is to, can you turn me down just a little bit? Uh, if we want to do that, then we've got to create guys that can preach. We've got to create opportunities for guys to get up here um, and preach so that as they go, they can be ready to preach the gospel. So um, Kyle did that pretty well, but one of the things that he suggested when he left was um, more opportunities. It's one thing to preach a Bible study. It's one thing to teach a small group, but to stand in front of your peers um, is a whole different ballgame. So um, what we're exper experimenting with this fall, and if it works, we're going to keep going, um, is that I'm going to preach about 60% of the time, and then we're going to give off to guys that we're trying to raise up to preach the other 40% of the time. So um, this semester, we're going to have Ricky preach a couple times in a row. Dylan's going to preach a couple times in a, in a, in a row. Um, that beautiful country accent is just going to come out all the way through, which is fantastic. Um, and, so, and, and so here's kind of the big umbrella around that. This church is not formed around me and preaching. 
This church is formed around, first and foremost, Jesus Christ and the preaching of the gospel. It doesn't matter who's doing it. And if we really want to create a network of 10 church plants, we've got to start raising up guys that can do this. So um, I'm excited about that. So you'll start to see that progression next week where I'll typically preach three weeks and then someone else will do two weeks and three weeks and two weeks and three weeks and two weeks um, until we send those two guys out. Sound good? Cool. All right, Luke 18 is where we're going to land, um, and we're just going to cover a couple verses this morning, 9 through 14, uh, and, and I'm, I'm excited about this one. I think that uh, this is one that on the surface is going to sound pretty elementary, um, but I feel like the Lord has just kind of opened my eyes to um, some other things in this text that hopefully will encourage us and free us up this morning. Um, so has anyone ever hiked the Indian seats in coming? Does anyone know what I'm talking about? Sunny Mountain Preserve? Okay. So way back in the day, because I can say that now because I'm old, way back in the day, that was not a park. It was not anything. It was literally you just kind of pulled off on the side of the road. And so my best friend and I, who always just never intended to get in trouble, but always just got in trouble, um, decided, hey, let's go hike the Indian seats. We've heard about this. Um, Our friend told us exactly where they are. Let's go hike. So um, we got there about 30 minutes before sunset, which was a Great plan, right? So we're going to go night hike so we can see the stars and this Indian seats. And if you haven't been there, you should go do it. It's, it's beautiful. You can, anyways, get there, and there's two choices, right? I mean, we parked, and there's, there's a trail on this side of the road and trail on that side of the road. Um, so naturally, we chose the trail on this side of the road. We thought that's what our friend told us. So we started walking. We got about a mile in. Now, remember, because I can say back in the day, we had no cell phones at this time. Um, we didn't have any flashlights. So as it's getting dark, we're just walking through these woods. And, and I don't know if it was me or him. I'm going to take credit for it because I think I'm the smarter friend. Um, but I just naturally realized we're going downhill. So if we're supposed to be going to the top of a mountain, these Indian seats overlooking Forsyth County, why are we going downhill? Not only that, why have we been going downhill for the last mile? So at this point, it's pitch black. We're going downhill. We have no flashlights. We have no phones. Um, we're going. He drove a little old, like, Dodge Neon that the paint was peeling off. And so it probably looked like we were just out in the mills making meth is what it looked like um, because we hiked the wrong side. So uh, we turned around. It took us way too long to get back. Uh, my parents are in this room. I still wonder why they didn't worry about us, but maybe they just hoped we would die. So uh, finally got back to the road, decided, hey, we should try the other side next time. And we went home and that was the end of our hiking adventure. But, but where, I'm, where I'm going with this is because I think we're going to see with the text what happened to us in the hike is that when the beginning of our faith took place, we started off with good intentions. That Brandon and I were going to hike this with good intentions. The moment we stepped out of the car, our intentions started to go the other way, literally down the wrong path. So if we're believers in this room, we all started off with good intentions. We all started off with faith that can only come from God. But, but quickly, and, and I'm going to blame the system here, the American church, quickly the church has messed us up. And even though we started off with good intentions, we click, quickly started running a different way. And So this morning I'm praying, because it's been for me, just a freedom that's going to take place when we realize that we, we've gone astray and we can come back to Christ, we can come back to freedom, and in that is where true joy is found. So um, Luke 18 9 through 14. And, and this is one of those, we read a parable last week, Jesus is teaching again in parables. And this whole idea as we're preaching through the book of Luke, and we've caught it a meal with Jesus because one theologian said um, that the book of Luke seems like Jesus is either at a meal, going to a meal, or coming from a meal. 
So if you can just kind of wrap your mind around that, that what the, the things that take place, the conversations that take place around a dinner table are always encouraging and uplifting. And so Jesus' tone here, even though he's teaching us a massive lesson, his tone here is just like that of around a dinner table, man, speaking life, breathing life into us this morning. So um, Luke 18, let's pick it up in verse 9. Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you I am not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Verse 13. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to the heavens, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for your word, but Jesus, more importantly, thank you for your life. That as we see this morning, we catch a foreshadowing, a glimpse of what's to come. So God, would you read us this morning? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you show us where we've gone off path? And Father, would you welcome us back with loving arms? We know that you will. So God, speak. So in your name we pray. Amen. Now, I want everyone to go back and look at verse 14, and if you underline, if you write, this is kind of the main crux of this parable. I tell you, this man went down to his house to be justified rather, rather than the other. So justified is kind of the key word here that this entire parable is centered around. The idea that, that we can be justified, simply put, that we can be made right, that we have wrongdoings in our life, and that we can be acquitted, we can be made right. So, so part two of the hiking story. Um, with the next time we went back to find the Indian seats, this time we went actually really early in the morning when there's plenty of sunlight. And the idea was that we were going to hike up and do our quiet time because we were super spiritual as the sun was coming up and it was going to be fantastic. And we did. We made it. We hiked the right side of the mountain. We made it up to the Indian seats. It was beautiful. But as soon as we got to school, um, we got called to the administrative principal's office who used to be like drugs task force, FBI guy. Um, and he drilled us for about 30 to 45 minutes about what, where we were, what we were doing, but all this took place. Now, keep in mind, this was the same guy that we had to go and talk to, this same friend, same administrative principal, when we got semi-arrested for stealing road signs. So we didn't have a good history with this said principal. But as the conversation went on, he, we found out that he was drilling us because someone had approached the principal and said that, that him and I had wake and bake. Does anyone know what that is? Uh, okay, for non-drug users, that we had gone up on top of the mountain and we had smoked weed and then we had came to school high. That is what we had been accused of and we're like, uh, we're high on Jesus, bro. Like that's all that we've done is we read our Bibles and, and here we are. So walking out of that office after we had found out that we had been acquitted of all wrongdoings, like the police were there because they thought it was that serious. When we had been acquitted, that's what it feels like to be justified. That we thought that they thought that we were in the wrong. They thought that we were going to be arrested, that it was going to be bad news. And for a little while, I was like, man, did you smoke weed? Because like, when they ask you enough, you're like, I don't, I, maybe. You know, like <laughs> 80 to 85% of 
um, verbal consent or verbal uh, whatever that word is. Confessions, yeah, are like coached. So I'm like, is this happening right now? Like, uh, so once we walked out of there, we felt totally acquitted, totally free. And this is what it means to be justified, right? So, so we understand this. This is the moment of us getting out of the car. That if we're believers, what that means is that there's been enough sin in our life that, that the Bible will tell us we are born sinful human beings and there's nothing we can do to earn our favor with Christ. That if we want to see Christ for eternity, if we want to go to heaven, we have to place faith in Jesus who is the only one that can justify us. Now, we could, that's a whole other sermon within itself, but this whole idea centered around this idea of justification, to be made new, to be forgiven, to be acquitted. And this is, if you have your Bibles, flip over to Galatians 3, just so we can see this clearly very fast, because we have to lay a foundation of justification before we can move on. Because if this tax collector, this man, was justified, we, we have to understand why. Galatians 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Galatians 3, pick it up in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible or own a Bible, there's one uh, sitting around on the floor. Please take that. That's our gift to you. Galatians 3, we're going to pick it up in verse 11. Now, it is evident that no one is, here's that word, justified, made right, made new before God by the law. For the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not a faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessings of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So what he's saying is, what Paul is getting at is, uh, our temptation is, let me follow the rules. Let me justify myself. Let me get the good grades. Let me do that all that I'm supposed to do so that I can be made right with God by myself. I can handle this. But Paul's saying, listen, that's not the point of the law. The point of the law is to show us that you cannot justify yourself, that you cannot do enough good deeds, that you cannot fix yourself so much so that you can have true faith in Jesus Christ. That is why Jesus came. That's why he died on the cross, so that through faith in Jesus, the one that can live a sinless life, we can now be made new with Christ Jesus. That's what it means to be justified. And, and Romans would say the same. James would say the same. So there's, there's two possibilities here, church. You're either justified through faith in Christ or you're not. There's no middle ground here. That either you have put your faith in Jesus Christ and through that faith you've become justified or we're still walking in sin or we're still walking towards hell. There's no middle ground here. But, and this is where it gets crazy, we have to notice one huge thing about justification in this text. And it all stems around the location. So first, let's pick it up with the audience. Go back to verse 9 for me. He told this parable to some, sorry, back in Luke 18, verse 9. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with content. So here's these guys. He's, he's treating these uh, people around them, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the sinners. They're treating them with contempt because they have been justified. They're made new. They're on a whole different level, which begs the question, are there different levels in the kingdom? 
or they're saved and not saved. Again, there's no middle ground in justification. Either you've been justified as one camp or you haven't. But here's this tribe, here's this crew that they're saying, listen, we are better than everyone else. And here is why. Verse 11, the Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you I'm not like these other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give tithes to all that I get. Now, if we read this prayer, let me, let me read this prayer one more time. Just see what you notice here. God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. What do you notice? The homeboy used the word I five times in two sentences. Now, is this a prayer? I mean, he's basically thanking God for, or using the word God, but just kind of boasting about himself. Look at what I have done. I, I'm not like these guys. I fast, I tithe. Look at what I have done. He was deceived. He was deceived. He had stepped out of the car, placed his faith in Jesus, placed his faith in God, and then started walking in a different direction. So here's just a couple ways that he was deceived. He was deceived with prayer. He thought that prayer was a public recognition of how good he was, not how good Christ is. And I think we all do this. If you spend time with me, here's kind of what, because I used to be this guy. I, like, I'm going to pray in public. I'm going to look good. Um, so the Lord convicted me a couple years ago, and, and you might have experienced this with me. If I haven't prayed publicly, I will not pray privately. And it's gotten awkward sometimes. So, right, like I'm at a breakfast or lunch or even, God forbid, sometimes a dinner, and like, hey, man, will you, will you pray for us? No, I, I can't. I, uh, I can't. But you're a pastor. Can you pray for us, please? No, and please don't make me tell you why, because it's 8 o'clock on a Tuesday night, and I have yet prayed, so I cannot pray out loud till I pray privately. But we fall into this, that we're deceived, right, that, that if we pray publicly, we're going to look good, we're going to look like we have it all together. Um, he was deceived about himself. He was saying, look how good I am. The church should be impressed with me, therefore God should be impressed with me. Look how good that I am, and he was deceived about the tax collector and the adulterers and all those that weren't on his level. And here's the greatest deception. He thought that they had no hope. He thought that they had no hope. There's no way that tax collector... Now, let me just ask a question. We're not going to dive in here yet. Have you ever looked at someone and said, that person has no hope? So straight out the gate, who are we? We're the tax collector or are we the Pharisee? The thought has come in our mind. If we've seen someone, their behavior, their actions said, listen, Jesus isn't for you. Jesus can't save you. Even though we've never used those words, that's our mindset. Who are we in this story? Now, verse 13 is the tax collector. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to the heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. So his hands on his chest, his eyes are down. The posture is that of humility and is beating his chest. Now here's something fascinating about the idea of beating his chest. It's nowhere to be found in the Old Testament. We don't have any identity of this before. 
other than in Jewish history. So in Jewish history, in Jewish writings, we see this come up often, the idea of beating in your chest. And it's a sign of mourning, it's a sign of deep regret and deep loss. And there's only one other place in the New Testament where this is used, and it's used after Jesus died. Luke 23, 48 says this, And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, that is, Christ being crucified, when they saw that it had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts. So the most horrific scene that has happened in the universe, the Jewish people's response was head down, eyes closed, beating their breasts for what they just saw. There's no way that just took place. So here's this tax collector, same thing, had stepped out of the car, placed his faith in God. But when he goes to pray, his head's down, his eyes are closed, and he's beating his breast. Why? Because he knows. He knows who he is. He knows the sin that's taking place. And these two guys cannot be more apart. But the result is where things start to make sense. Verse 14, I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. The tax collector was justified. Now, if we had no idea what justification means, we had no idea what was taking place, the symbolism behind all that was taking place, if we just looked at these two men, who is going to look justified? The tax collector that's constantly swindling money out of his own Jewish people, or this Pharisee that looks like he has it all together, he's dressed to the nines. When he says that he's given 10% of all he has, he's true. When he says he's fasting all the time, it's true. When we look at these two guys straight out of the gate, who's going to look justified? It's going to be the Pharisee. So this logic, this system that we start to walk into, is not a new system in the American church. This is a system that has plagued Christianity for generations and generations and generations. If you look like you have it all together, you look justified, that's all that matters. As long as you do what is required, as long as you give a tie check, as long as you show up here, as long as you don't cuss or chew or run with girls that do, as long as you don't watch rated R movies, as long as they're about Jesus dying, as long as you don't do any of that, you are good. And we chuckle, but it's true. Can I, just, can I just tell you a pet peeve? Can I just be, and elders are probably going to fire me after this Sunday. I would rather you just cuss and make up stupid cuss words. Right? This whole Christian subculture of like, we're going to get as close as we can to cussing, but not actually cussing. Stop that. Just say the word and then ask for repentance. Right? Like we just create this whole sub, uh, too far. That's just a Christian cuss word. Yeah, just say that word is what I meant. No, this whole subculture, like, we're going to get this close, but we want to look this way, but we don't actually believe that because if you pressed us on it, we're going to we just look good. But here's the result. The tax collector is made new. The tax collector has been justified. The tax collector is the one that's right in the story. He who exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. This exalting is a synonym for salvation. The salvation is required, or humility is required for salvation. But here's where we have to look into next, the location. And this is a hope. This is where everything changes. If you're asleep, wake up. Stay with me right here. Verse 10, the two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. They went to the where? 
the temple. So here, here's what's taking place. Um, there was a sacrifice at nine in the morning and three in the afternoon every single day at the temple. So people would come up to the temple. Um, the judge, or the judge, sorry, the priest would take the animal. They would slaughter them. There'd be burnt offerings, and the people went there because you got to remember this is pre-Jesus. So they were going to see the atonement for their sins. They were going up to confess their sins, to see the atonement taking place for their sins, and that's where they put their hope because that is what the Levitical law demanded for their sins to be forgiven. They were in church. There's a man who was justified and there's a man who was not sitting in that room that day and there's those that are justified and those that aren't sitting in this room today. We're not talking about salvation. At some point, both of these men had gotten out of the car to go on a hike. At some point, both of these men had put their faith in God but then one had gone astray. Eventually, one had started putting his hope, putting his trust in himself, and the other remained putting his trust and hope in Jesus Christ. So so here's where it gets scary for me. As I've been praying about this and getting ready for this and, and kind of wishing that I had another text to preach, because here's the harsh reality. This is you, and this is me. This is something that we have to wrestle with. Are we the tax collector or are we the Pharisee? Because this was not a salvation story. This is a sanctification story. That both of them had the same theological groundwork to say, I have to put my hope in God. But post that, as they progressed in their Christianity, one started to put more hope in themselves and the tax tax collector continued to put hope in God. Let me just read this real quick. This historian just outlined what's taking place so well. One can almost smell the incense, hear the loud clash of the ceremonial cymbals, and see the great cloud of dense smoke rising from the burnt offering. And the tax collector is there, stands far off, anxious not to be seen, sensing his unworthiness to stand with the participants. In brokenness, he longs to be part of it all. He yearns that he might stand with the righteous. In deep remorse, he pounds his chest and cries out with repentance and hope, O God, let it be for me. Make an atonement for me, a sinner. There in this temple, the humble man, aware of his own sin and unworthiness with no merit of his own to commend him, longs the great dramatic atonement. Sacrifice might be applied for him. So are we here this morning longing that that atonement is still for us? Have we gathered this morning to sing songs which we're hoping that they're true? Are we here with the brokenness, the severity of our sin, knowing that if Christ didn't die and if Christ didn't defeat death and raise on the third day, that we have no hope in anything? If Christianity was disproved tomorrow, would it change your life? Or are you just putting your hope in yourself? Because I know we have a room of 120, 130 beautiful people But do we struggle? Do we sin? Do we understand the brokenness that's in our hearts? 
Do we come looking to be justified, looking to be made new? Is our sin around us constantly reminding us that we need our hope in Jesus Christ? Or are we good? Or, or are we good? Here's what I've experienced in my own heart, and I think most of us would probably agree we've experienced. We're the best self-justifiers ever. The, the justification that should take place in Jesus Christ alone, we can take place. We can explain away everything. Now listen, I, I am the chief of this. There's been times where I've wronged my wife or wronged my family, and I ask my wife for permission, and she grants it just like that. Yeah, hon, it's good. You're, you're okay. But I've been working on this story for a really long time. I've been justifying myself for a really long time. I've spent time alone, and so I go, what? but can I explain it? Right? Can, can I justify my actions? And she goes, no, you're good. It's, it's fine. Let's move on. But, but this tension is I have to justify this. I have to explain why I was wrong. I have to give my side of the story. I must justify myself. So, if you're a believer in this room, we ex- expect, ex- excuse me, we welcome the justification that was in Jesus Christ for salvation. But have we gone the wrong path and now we're trying to justify ourselves? We say, God, I don't need you anymore. I can take it from here. Thank you for saving me. I will sustain myself. Here's what it looks like. Are you trying to justify yourself by your works? And college students, let me pick on you for a second because I just, I'm not trying to pick on you, but I see this happening a lot with college students. Justifying yourself by works may look like this. It doesn't mean this, but it may look like this. I'm going to join every Bible study and every leadership and every ministry organization that I can. If I'm going to be busy, I'm going to be busy with Christian stuff so that I can look good on the outside. Are we justifying ourselves by our works? So maybe that's the obvious one. Maybe let me turn internal for a second. Why are you here this morning? Is it out of deep responsibility that I must take care of this, I must go to church because I have to justify myself, or is it that we long to worship God and learn about God with our community? That we long to be a group of called out ones that are making a difference in Alonaga because Jesus has first saved us. If we give our time or money, why is that? Do we feel like if we do enough good things that we can justify ourselves, that, that we can somehow pay God back for all that he's done? As if that's even an option. So, this took place in a temple in a church service, tax collector realized he is justified only through Jesus Christ. But are we? Are we more like the Pharisee that's trying to justify, justify ourselves by our works? So maybe that's not you. Here's maybe round two. Uh, comparison is a beast. Maybe we are justifying ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. 
Listen, I don't, I don't do what that guy does, so, so I'm, I'm one up on him. I've never done that before. The pastor just said he got arrested in high school. I've never done that, so I've got to be better than the pastor. Let me keep justifying myself by comparison, because then maybe God will love me. Then I can earn my own salvation. Thanks for what you did on the cross, Jesus, but, but I'll take it from here. Oh my goodness, this comparison game plagues the church so much. And I'll even zoom up a notch. You know the question I get all the time about our church? How big are you? How much numbers you got? There was a, man, a couple weeks ago I was at a pastor's event, a kind of a roundtable deal, and um, they, this guy had heard about that we planted a church in Milledgeville and we planted a church here, and he said, oh, that's great. You've got all these people and probably 20 bucks, don't you? I'm like, was that supposed to be a dig? Like, are you really putting me down for planting churches in college towns? because I will throat punch you if you are. As long, like, if I get a good diaphragm shot, I can run. But it happens all the time. In this dude's sinful nature, he was trying to make himself feel better. Oh, your church might be better, but we have more money. It happens. It happens on a micro level. It happens on a macro level. It happens everywhere, that our righteousness, our justification is not defined on what this person is doing and what this person isn't. Our justification is solely found on the hope we have in Jesus Christ, in that faith. But, but here's, here's my fear, if I can just be completely honest. It's not the comparison game, because we can fix that. And it, it's not only the looking around, I'm going to take care of this, I'm going to take care of that. It, it's not that ball game, because we, we can address it. Here's what I'm afraid of. Church, if we don't, and there's, there's testimonies in this room where it almost happened and God saved them. If we don't fix this, we're going to turn away people from the gospel and not bring them in. That if we want to walk around acting like justification is something that we can take care of as long as you follow this and this and this and this. Here's what I mean. Here's a story that happened in this room. This guy was considering following Jesus. Here's two stories. Considering following Jesus, was going to walk with Jesus and this nut, I don't even want to, Christian cuss words, right? This guy said to him, listen, if you don't have the desire to read your Bible every single day, you're not a Christian. I, my life is not the same unless I start, the, start my day every single day with the Bible. And if you can't do that, then you're probably not a Christian. So this dude said, I, I guess I'm not a Christian. If justification for me looks like there's some days I don't have a desire to read the Bible, therefore I'm not good enough so I can't be saved. Or here's another one. Uh, there, this just happened last semester. There's a student, again, considering following Christ. What would it look like for me to abandon everything and to follow Christ? And these guys started talking about these dead guys and theologians and said, man, if you don't know this and this and this, if you don't know who this theologian is and this guy, if you don't study church history, then I don't even know what you're doing here. And here's a guy that's just considering what it would look like to follow Jesus, considering what it would look like to put his faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And he goes, okay, then what am I doing here? Because I thought salvation was putting my faith and hope in Jesus Christ. But what these guys are saying is I've got to read all these other dead dudes. I've got to know church history and John Calvin and Wesley and Spurgeon and all. I've got to know all that too on top of the gospel. Why do we do that? Why do we feel the need to press in? Because we want to look good for those around us. That if I can quote more dead guys than you, that I'm clearly more justified. Jesus, I got it from here. I can handle this situation. I will justify 
myself. This is the American church. This is the American church. So just two questions. Are you trying to justify yourself? Have you accepted salvation from Jesus Christ, but now it's up to you to sustain it? Has there been a moment for you where you said, yes, I'm putting all my faith, all my hope in Jesus Christ, but then over the time as your hike continues to go deeper and deeper in the woods, you start to say, well, I guess it's up to me then. I guess I gotta work harder and try harder to justify myself. How many eyes are in your prayer? When you get around a group of people, it's a temptation to be honest about your shortcomings or to hide your shortcomings. It's our temptation to let's look like we have it all together, that we, there's nothing that's bothering us, there's no sin that's struggling us. We're, we're good, we've, we're, we've got it. What is that thing in your mind that you said, if people knew blank about me, then they would cast me off? What is that, what is that fear deep down? If people actually knew this, then, I, then they would throw me out of this church so quickly. Because here's a tax collector. Here's one of the worst in society that's beating his chest out of repentance. But, but here's the other part, and, and I think... I think there are some, I mean, this is just my, this is a conjecture, this is my own opinion. I think there are some in here that are playing the game, that they're playing the system, that you've grown up in church and, and you know what to say, when to say it, when to raise your hands and when to say amen, which sidebar, you can say amen if you want to. Thank you. You can talk back to me, it's okay, but you just know Christian culture enough. Here's what I say and here's what I don't say because I saw someone that confessed this sin and now I don't hear from them again. They've fallen away from the faith. So, so I'm gonna stay in this middle lane because this is where I've lived. But, but I think there are on another side. I was listening to a study this week about college students and 10 years ago, college professors would admit that they had almost zero parents coming to the campus or calling them about their students' grades. Just 10 years ago, almost zero. Now it's almost unanimous that every college professor has had some interaction with, their, uh, with a parent of one of their students. Almost unanimous across the board. Yes, we've all had to experience that one mom or that one dad that's called, I can't believe you give my son this grade and this grade and that grade. So here, here's my fear. As we get to this helicopter, this new generation that's taking place, where everyone, and not, this is not a jab, everyone wins trophies and everyone's the greatest thing ever, do you know your sin? Because maybe you've just grown up in an environment where you, you don't know it, that you've always been told you're great, you're fantastic, and some point along the way you've just started to believe it. And so you've kind of put your faith in Jesus because you feel like you're supposed to. But the day-to-day -day justification of your sin, you're just not aware. You just don't know the sin nature of your heart because no one has loved you enough to tell you. That you've heard excuse after excuse after excuse. Well, it's because of this, it's because of that. And that self-justifying kicks in instead of letting Christ justify you. That you just don't know your sin. 
So as I'm reading the story and as I'm preparing for this morning, there's one thing that I just kept like, it just kept recycling over my head. I cannot believe, I cannot believe, I cannot believe. And if I'm being honest, it's maybe a little bit of a pride thing, reading the story and trying to put the Pharisee down. But what was taking place was the atonement for their sins in this temple. And so while they're going at nine, while they're going at three, the exact moment that this Pharisee was standing up saying, I'm so good, I'm so great, listen to me, look at me, there's a lamb being slaughtered for the sins of that man. That the atonement of his sin, that sin had to be just, or sin had to be taken care of, and so the way the Levitical law set it up was that they would slaughter an animal for the sin, that that blood would cover the sin of many men and women if you would come and repent of your sins. And so I'm sitting there going, how in the world, how in the world did this guy stand in front of what was taking place and hear the noise and see all that was taking place and go, no, that's not for me. I'm good. That's, that's for everyone else. But that scene, what's taking place, that's, that's not for me. I can take care of myself. I can justify myself. And so in a mocking way, I'm reading this going, how does this fool not see this? And very quickly, Jesus said, hey, bro, how do you end every service? So how can I, in a minute, walk over to this communion table and say, God, thank you for dying for all these fools around me but I'm good. See, when we take communion, what we're saying is there's no way for us to justify ourselves. There's no way for us to be made new apart from the atonement of Jesus Christ, apart from his body being broken and his blood being spilt for us, that God is a good, righteous judge, that sin has to be punished. So Jesus took that place for us. Instead of our sins condemning us to hell, Jesus said, no, I'll take it for them. So let God's wrath, his just wrath, be poured out on me so that you can have sons and daughters, God. So when we take communion in a moment, the question is simple. Are we the tax collector that's justifying ourselves? Are we saying, I don't need this communion, thanks though, because I'm good? I've taken care of all the sins and all the struggles in my life. I have justified myself. I am fine. I'm going to take this because there's people around me. I don't want to set a bad example, but I don't actually need this. I'm good. Or are we going to take communion this morning going, I am the chief of sinners. I am the worst. That if you knew the thoughts going through my mind, if you knew my motives, if you knew why I did what I did, There's no way that you would love me, God. If I could just be honest for a minute about who I am, that there's no way that you would ever love me, there's no way you would ever send your son to die for me, but you did. So as we take communion this morning, as I take communion this morning, there's a freedom there. Because I don't have to continue trying to justify myself. I have been justified, period. Church, we have been justified, period. So we don't have to act pretty and act like we have it all together. There's no facade that we have to carry anymore. Galatians 5, 1 would put it this way. If you'd flip with me, I just this is the scripture I want us to meditate on as we're getting ready for communion. Galatians 5, 1. Galatians 5, 1. 
for freedom. Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. So by us pretending that justification is us up to us, that we have to present a case to God every single day, this is why you should love me, this is why you should have died for me, and this is how I've taken it from there, that is a yoke of slavery that we're willingly putting back on ourselves. But if we walk as new sons and daughters, if we say, I have been fully justified by Christ's work on the cross, so when I confess my sin, it's pushing me farther to Jesus Christ, not away from Jesus Christ. When I can be real and honest about all that I struggle with and all that I am, what this simply means is Christ gets more glory. Simply put, this means I have, this is the prerequisite for being a Christian, is that we're becoming comfortable with our depravity, that there's no way that we can please God by any of our actions, that we are sinful human beings and God justifies us and God sustains us and God will forever sustain us. So as we get ready to take communion this morning, where are we, church? Would you describe Christianity as freedom? And if not, why? Are you just faking it until you make it? Are you not letting anyone close to you because if they saw who you really were, they'd say, man, this guy can't be a believer. This can't, really can't be part of the church. That is not the freedom that Christ has set us free for. That is a yoke of slavery that we are putting on ourselves. So this morning, I'm, I'm pleading with you, I'm pleading with me, let us be the tax collector. Let God exalt us, not us exalt us. Can, can we be real, even as just for these next few moments, this is the first time, would you confess your sins to God? Would you repent I know that this and this and this are keeping me from following you, Jesus. And I repent. But I know that it's through your body and it's through your blood that I've been made whole. So who is justifying you? Jesus or yourself? Let's pray. Father, I know it can be so hard to fully trust you. That in every arena of life, we feel like it's up to us. That I've got to do enough good deeds. I've got to get enough good grades. I've got to work this hard to get a promotion. I've got to, and the list continues. And so when we get to you in faith, it feels so counterintuitive. That if we put our hope, we put our trust, we put our faith in you alone, it is you that justifies. It is you that makes us new. So Father, would you forgive us for trying to justify ourselves? Would you forgive us for constantly knowing what we should do and running from it. Father, in this moment, would you reveal our sins to us? That, that none of us 
are walking in here sinless and perfect. That all of us are walking in here with sins and struggles that we've had for years. And we're terrified of telling someone. Because what are they going to think about us? I won't be able to stand in front of the church looking like I have it all together. I won't be that influencer in my friend group anymore. You have put a yoke of slavery, church, on you that you cannot bear. It is Christ and Christ glorified what we're after. And when we become weak, He becomes strong. That is how we're justified, boasting all the more in our weaknesses. So for this morning, even if it's just for you, would you finally admit where you continue to fall short? Would you finally admit the struggles that's going on in your heart? The things that you haven't told anybody, would you confess to your Lord and Savior this morning? Would you experience the freedom that comes that even after those sins are confessed, you still get to go partake in communion? And I'd argue that unless you have examined your heart, communion isn't for you anyways, is what 1 Corinthians would tell us. So you do not have to justify you. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to fix yourself. Christ has already done that. Put your hope in Him. Experience the freedom that comes and follow after Jesus, the only one that can justify. So let communion for us this morning be some of our first attempts of trusting in Him for our justification, not in ourselves. Let us confess our sins. Let us beat our chest like the tax collector did. But when we lift our eyes, let us see Christ and Christ crucified. Let us see all those sins provided for and taken care of. Let us walk as sons and daughters of the Most High King, that even when we were still sinners, sent Christ to die for us. Let us boast in the fact that we are new creations, that the old is gone and that the new has come. And this is not any effort of our own, but this is only because we put our hope and faith in Jesus Christ. Let us boast in that church and nothing else. So do we willingly confess our sins? all the time because it's in that confession that we understand the richness of Jesus Christ Father let us be that church God I loathe the fact that we would become a church of tax collectors or of, of Pharisees that, that we have to look up. We've got everything together constantly that, that we can't let anyone see us sweat, that we cannot talk about our shortcomings, that, that when we get together, all we do is boast about what we've done, what we've accomplished, and what God is asking us to do. And we're part of this Bible study. We're going to this seminary. We're going to do this and this and this. But Father, let us be the tax collector that has our head down, that beats our chest and says, God, if you can do anything with me, do it. because I'm just nothing but filthy rags. And if you can use me, Father, please do. God, let us be that church.
as a church, would we humble ourselves so that you may be exalted, so that your glory may be famous in this town. So as we take communion this morning, let us remember that, that when we are weak, you are strong. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.